you know, I had this delivery job and I would just drive by late night with Letterman and I was just like, two years, I'm going to be there. <laughs> that didn't happen. You know, someone didn't get it when they just say audition. <laughs> Hello and welcome once again to the No Name NYC podcast. My name is Eric Feder. I am the host of this podcast and the host and founder of No Name and a Bag of Chips, New York City's longest running comedy variety show. Hey, how you guys doing today? Thank you for coming by to play with us. The voice you heard up front is that of musician Pat O'Shea. He's an amazing drummer, a songwriter, a singer. He has a kick-ass band called Even Twice. They're quite wonderful. He also, for a while, was the drummer in our house band for our show, The Summer Replacements. Uh, we'll, we'll get to talking with him in a bit. It, it was really good to catch up with him. But I'm trying to keep my stuff together right now. I'm a little disoriented because I'm recording this intro at QED Astoria. We just recorded a, an episode that will be next month. But this intro is an intro to an episode that was recorded at Freddy's Bar in Brooklyn. And I want to just give a shout out to Freddy's. Their, their staff is wonderful. It's a great place to have a beverage and a bite. It was fun recording that episode with Pat there. So we're going to Brooklyn. We're going to Queens. We're, we're in Astoria right now, going all over the place. And that is a challenge for me now. Uh, if you don't know, I lost my eyesight over the last couple of years due to a rare condition called retinitis pigmentosa. And to get anywhere nowadays, I need a seeing eye human of some sort. And although I was very resistant to it, I have come to using upon occasion, because it's easier on, on the seeing eye human and myself, something called Accessoride. Now, if you don't know, Accessoride is a program that is set up to transport folks around the city in place of regular public transportation. These are Uber-like cars or lifts or whatever. Sometimes they're vans or mini buses that are painted to acknowledge Accessoride. What I get most of the time is something that just looks like an Uber. And let's just say, if you've ever had to deal with this system, they, they don't have all the bugs out of it. In fact, I'd say the, the, the bugs are in charge. It is a service that is relied on by folks like myself and elderly folks who can't get around. I can get around. I just can't see where I'm going. And sometimes it's easier on paper to take these things rather than get on one train and transfer to another during rush hour or whatever. So kind of thankful to have the service, but those who are familiar with the service know that it's not necessarily the best option. I've only been using the service for like a year and a half, and I don't use it that often. I try to avoid using it if it's not the seemingly easiest. First of all, let me say that when I was first coming into need of such services, you know, dealt with social workers and folks who are paid to tell me that I should use this service, two out of the three when they started their spiel, I cut them off. And I just let them know, like, I, I know about Accessoride. And two of them just started to laugh right there. One said, okay, so there's no need to go through that. Another one said, you know, there's a reason why we in the business uh, refer to it as a stress-a-ride. My mother in her later years actually needed this service. And I had a dear friend who fought cancer for a number of years who needed this service. So I saw it in action for years before it became my turn. So that said, in my year and a half, I've come up with a few stories that I've shared with longtime users of the service. And apparently I've had a few unique experiences. I, I had a car pick me up from West 14th Street in Manhattan, took me up to West 207th Street in Manhattan. They did get me there. But somewhere along the way, they took a wrong turn and drove to New Jersey first. They realized they were on their way to New Jersey when they realized they were on the George Washington Bridge. So there was no option to turn around, just had to go to Fort Lee and then come back. When they dropped me off at West 207th Street, having returned from New Jersey, I looked at my traveling companion and I said, you know, no matter how long you're away, it's always good to get back to New York City. Another time, I'm waiting with a friend, again, traveling companion, because I don't trust Accessoride uh, on my own. I had received a message, an inaccurate message, that said your driver is on the way and will be there in zero minutes. 
will be there in zero minutes. And I got that message about an hour and 10 minutes before the scheduled pickup. Uh, so I didn't take it all that seriously. But about 10 minutes before the scheduled pickup, I actually used the driver's phone number to call and see how that was going. And he said, uh, I'll be there in about 15 minutes. Uh, I was arrested and the police are letting me go right now. I, I should be there in about 15 minutes. I looked at my traveling buddy and said, you still want to do this? Sure, let's let's do it. It'll be an adventure. Uh, I will say this to the to the guy's uh, credit. He was actually there in like 15 minutes. So he was within five minutes of being on time. I've shared these stories with people who've used it for years and said, no, those are new ones, but they're consistent. Uh, let's just say if you're ever given the option of becoming blind and needing this service, just say no. There are better ways to go even if that means taking the New York City subway during rush hour. All right, babble, babble, babble. Enough venting on my part. I'm thankful for all the people who helped me get around and do stuff. I'm thankful to everyone who makes it easier for folks like myself to go about our business and do what we do. We've got a great conversation with Pat O'Shea coming up. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. to Green Bay. Yes, that's right, the historic Astor House bed and breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin, where your innkeepers, Tom and Linda Steber, will greet you and make you feel at home in any of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have their own bath, and some of which even have a jacuzzi. Now, bed and breakfast, this is the bed and breakfast. You ever go to a bed and breakfast and think, I'd rather not have the breakfast? Or maybe you wake up and there was almost no breakfast and it's all gone by the time you got there. Or you do get there and there's like a couple of strips of bacon, maybe one or two turkey sausages, a box of half-eaten cereal, and some questionable fruit. That will never happen to you at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast, where nothing is more majestic than the fresh, homemade, yummy, scrumptious... Their breakfasts are amazing and are worth the trip alone. And after breakfast, if you want to know what's going on in Green Bay, what's fun to do, what restaurants do you need to check out, well, ask Tom and Linda. They know everything. They are totally connected there, and they will see to it that you have a blast every second you are up there. So, what do you want to do? You want to make some reservations? You got some questions? Check them out online. Go to www.astorhouse.com. That is Astorhouse, A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Escape to Green Bay today. So where, where are you originally from? I was born in Dorchester, section of Boston, and then uh, grew up in Milton, East Milton, around the border of uh, Milton and Quincy, Mass. Uh, yeah, and I lived there for a while, then I moved back to Boston. So the, the, the other places there, I, I'm an idiot geographically, mm. just in general. Uh, th- are those all like uh, closely related to Boston? or is it like? Yeah, it's funny. It's like Milton is right next to Canton, mm. uh, Canton. And that's what Bill Burr's from. And Bill Burr would always say, like, people ask me where I'm from, I, I just say Boston because no one knows where Canton is. <laughs> yeah, Canton is uh, basically the Blue Hills. There's like a reservation there. On one side, it's, it's Canton. On the other side, it's Milton. I just told people Boston. Yeah. It was easier to let people know I was from Boston before I lost most of my accent. <laughs> I've, I've lost most of it. So, okay, was that a conscious effort? Or just yeah, because I wanted to. I wanted to do voiceovers and such. And I, I remember I was I was in some band uh, when I was in my twenties, and somebody was doing this college uh, video presentation for extra credit or whatever, mm-hmm. and they interviewed all of us, and I just sounded. I was like, yeah, the class, the cure, uh, it's wicked hard uh, to figure out. And I was just like, do I sound like that? That's that's not good. So I made a, my brother, my brother Brian gives me, gives me guff when I go home. Uh, I like when I go back uh, to Boston, he's like, it's like, well, you got to have a New York accent. I'm like, no, I just have, like my wife has no accent. She's, she, uh, and she's, she's also from that area. She's from that area, but she also lived, uh, you know, military brat. So uh, Virginia, Detroit. You know, so many places that she never developed an accent. And she was a voiceover person, so. 
Well, how long have you been in New York? June 2002. I've been 21 years. Oh, all right. All right. Yeah. So I've probably known you a good chunk of the time that you've been here. The first time I went to the, the Bag of Chip show, it was someplace in Soho, I want to say. Uh, like Mo Pickens, maybe? Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Was that in Soho? Uh, that was... Uh, no, Mo Pickens was in a... Like was, Avenue A, Avenue B. That's Lower East Side. Like no, it was before then. It was some place, and it was like Soho, someplace. Maybe hmm, that wasn't that's the first. interesting. Maybe uh, I think it was like a one-off. I don't think you were doing it there regularly. Okay, uh, it's entirely possible then that it might have been our very brief stay with the uh, the tank when they were the tank. In, that's what it was in Chelsea or something like that. Okay, uh, not Chelsea. I'm sorry, uh, Tribeca. Tribeca Soho. Oh, what's, it, the, what's the difference? <laughs> we've been so many talk about places that have moved. Right, yeah. we've outlived most of the venues. Yeah. <laughs> We're actually playing autos Friday. We just, uh, someone. Oh, really? What time? We're going on last, so like 10 30, 11. Okay. We'll get back to that. that you, you haven't played autos in a long while, right? No, we played in uh, April. In April. Yeah. Okay. Oh, actually, you know what? Somebody did tell me that. And um, then we played last October, too. Like before then, we hadn't played in a while just because we were just playing around here a lot. Yeah, but that was how, how I've, I'm, you know, somebody had told me that you guys played it. Like, oh, but it was after the fact. It's like, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> and then we're playing Bowery Electric, but that's an early show. That's that's at the end of October. It's uh, the 28th, but that's like a matinee show. So that's okay. Like uh, actually, you know what? We'll, we'll we'll be able to plug that. This, this this should be coming out on October 1st. So okay, uh, at least <laughs> you have time to think about what you need to plug for. Oh, that. Okay, okay. So I was wondering. So you, you're coming up in Boston. You always musical. Always always into music. Yeah, that's what I that's what I did initially. I was uh, I was in bands when I was like 12. Uh, and I played around when I was a teenager in my 20s. Started out with drums from the beginning? Yeah. I moved to guitar for another band because I've played guitar in a couple of different bands. But uh, I was in a band called The Keep. And uh, if you can find our seven inches, uh, they're they're really rare. If you can find them on Discogs or something. I don't even think I have any. Uh, we put out like three seven inches on this. Ratfish Records. And we opened up for Morphine. I remembered you played with a band that opened up for Morphine. Yeah. yeah we, I can't remember what I did yesterday. But December 26, 1992, it was like their like record release or something mm-hmm. at, a, at a place that doesn't exist. Lansdowne Street used to have, uh, which is right near next to Fenway, mm-hmm. uh, it used to have, the place we played was Venus de Milo. It used to have Venus de Milo, Axis, Mama Kins, which was owned by uh, Aerosmith, Avalon, it was a place, saw a bunch of bands there. All those are gone and they were, they've been replaced with a house of blues. And that was not the original location of that anyway, No, because right? that moved from Harvard Square. I go back to some sections of Boston, and I feel like Charlton Heston at the end of Planet of the Apes. I'm just like, you maniacs! You I, blew it up! <laughs> Kenmore Square, it's just like the rat's gone, like everything. The bar I used to hang out in, like a lot of the musicians uh, would hang out in, J.J. Uh, Foley's, is still there. Okay. That's uh, There's two different locations. This one's in Kingston near Chinatown. That's still there. I, You're welcome, I, Jim. I'm plugging your bar. Right? <laughs> Well, you know, it, 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 he is a faithful listener. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and uh, the duplex that was another bar. I think that's still there. But yeah, a lot of places when we when we play there, when me and Bob play there, we usually play like Somerville or Cambridge or something. We think we've only played actual Boston once, and that was Jamaica Plain, where I used to live, the Midway, which I think is still there. But yeah, no, it's strange. I mean, you think it's you think it's just happening here? It's happening everywhere. I, that's yeah, that, that's what I hear. Um, so, so you, you, your first thing you, you pick up the drums, parents supportive? Yeah. My parents owned a flower shop that was connected to the house. So I was just in the basement of the house, but it was a lot of the sound went into the flower shop. So <laughs> I just couldn't play after a certain time. But that, that's interesting that it, it, flower shop basement drumming seems like an interesting combination. Yeah, it, yeah. Everybody was co- copacetic with that. Uh, I just had to stop by a certain time. And then when I got older, I got rehearsal spaces. Like my uh, bass player in the band lived next door, and his dad owned this abandoned building because he had a bike shop, and mm. he would put a lot of the bikes in there, so we would play in there. Oh, so, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a little bit of garage band cachet for, yeah, it, yeah. for a setting. Who were you guys when you first started playing? Uh, it's funny because I'm the youngest of five, and everyone just thinks, oh, you know, you were listening to the late 70s, 80s. Nope. I was listening to 60s music. I was listening to my brothers and sisters' music. My parents listened to swing music. 
my brother liked jazz. I had another brother who was into like Tin Lizzy and The Who. I had my sisters into The Beatles. Wait, how many siblings? I'm the oh. youngest of five. Okay, and uh, so you've got a fair, fairly decent age difference between top and bottom? Yeah, 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 15 years. Okay, so so you're mm-hmm. you're getting a spectrum of music in yeah. the house. I know you've spoken to me in the past uh, uh, about jazz. So, uh, what what were you first locking into? My favorite's Coltrane, John Coltrane. Mm. It's funny. Uh, his son Robbie Coltrane lives yeah. in this neighborhood. I see. I see him once in a while. Yeah, that's just he looks just like him. It's crazy. Oh, that must be crazy. Yeah, it is. It's just you know. I just when I talk to him, we just talk about like. Mr. Show or Monty Python. I just try not to talk <laughs> about music. When I went into like musicians that I was influenced by, like the drummer from Mission of Burma, Peter Prescott, I run into him. I play with his new band, uh, Mini Beast, here and there. When we run into each other, we just talk about the Celtics. That's, we don't even talk about music. <laughs> Maybe Sun Ra, but mostly the Celtics. Because <laughs> he's, he's from Boston. Well, he's from, uh, yeah, he's from like Wareham, was in the Cape. Okay. All right. Yeah, you know, it, 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 through the years, I've always been amused at as much as, as a rivalry as there is between Boston and New York, uh, especially with, you know, sports teams yeah. or whatever, always made the influx of Boston folks who become New York transplants. Yeah. You know, like, don't you hate us too much to live here? <laughs> no, no. I, it's funny. I, I didn't move here until after I became a comedian. And uh, I was always a musician. I'll always be a musician. It's funny how I, how I became a stand-up was uh, – I was doing this gig. I was in a band called Mothman, mm-hmm. and I was a guitar player in that band and the singer. We would like wear like um, druid robes. We had, would have people spray silly spring, string on us until we just looked like a circus tent. <laughs> we would sing songs with you know like pop rocks in our mouths. We just, you know, we were like the tubes or something. Um, but, so, uh, so you did like the full experience, not just not just music. It's a show. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I try to. That's what I try to do now as much as I can. But uh, we did some show at this place called Jacques, which was a, um, a cross-dressing bar, and it was in the basement. And we've played there before, and you know everything was fine. But we, we were playing there. It was one of those nights that the weather was terrible, mm-hmm. and we, you know, there was hardly anybody there. And I was just like, oh god. And I was just, you know, and it was kind of tension in the band. I was just like, eh, man. The next day, I was like, ah, oh, man, maybe I should do something. Maybe it's like do comedy or something. And then my friend TJ. And around when is this? What this is nineteen ninety. I'm just trying to ninety seven, ninety seven, ninety seven. Okay. And uh, I was like, yeah, maybe I should. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was uh, fall of ninety seven. And my friend TJ is like, oh, that's weird. I just took a. I'm, I just signed up for a stand up comedy course, so I took a stand up comedy course, and I did. I'm like, I'm funnier than these people. Who did you take that with? Oh, if I can remember his name. It'll it'll come back to me. Okay, um, but somebody who is established and working in Boston. Yeah, I think he moved out to L.A. I mean, it's not someone you're gonna know right away. Right, right. But you know, there's there's yeah. there, there's a long it wasn't it was tradition in that. Area. It wasn't Patrice O'Neill. Okay, it wasn't right, him. Right, right. Uh, his name was Jim. Mm, I'll figure it out. <laughs> but uh, he's probably listening to. But you. he. But what happened was one should you um graduated or whatever. Uh, you would do a, a gig at uh, the um, the comedy studio, mm-hmm. which is owned by Rick Jenkins. Um, this was when it was in Harvard Square. I think it actually moved back to Harvard Square. But uh, and I, you know, I had people there, and I just doing my first stand up, and I just like, oh, this is great. So I did it for four years. Then I moved here because I think I heard Louis C.K. one time said like, oh, you should do it for four years before you move to New York. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, <laughs> okay. And I, I had already done two. Co- Conan O'Brien auditions before I had moved here. And I'm like, oh, oh right. Wow. I'm going to take, you know, and I would just, you know, I had this delivery job and I would just drive by uh, late night with Letterman and I was just like, I'm going to, two years, I'm going to be there. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> a bunch of bunch of Comedy Central auditions and a bunch of Montreal auditions later. You, you know someone didn't get it when they just say audition. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. If, if, if that's where, where the, the story lands. Yeah. When when you first took that class, where had you been musically at that point? I was in a band called The Keep for a while, and then Mothman for a few years, and I just played drums uh, for a friend of mine's band. Uh, they were called like Kilowatt Hours. I recorded the album, and then two years later, they put the album out, and they changed the name of the band, and they got signed. Um, of course. But then they put out like one album with another drummer, and uh, then they broke up, so... 
I kind of I kind of left because I wanted to write songs because that's I'm mostly a songwriter. So I was just oh, like, okay, I'm like you know. And and also, we, at what point did singing become an element? I've been singing since I was a little kid. Okay, but I mean, in the bands you were playing with up to that point, the keep I would if we did like a twelve song set, I'd sing about three. Okay, I was always singing, playing drums and singing, and then I play guitar and sing. Even twice, I probably sing uh, lead on probably about eight songs out of like twelve. But me and Bob go back and forth, so it's just two of us. It's just bass and drums. Right, right, right. So, but you know, oh, you've seen us. I do a, I do a lot of the singing, so I'm just used to it. My sister was a really good singer. Yeah, this musical Did, me, talent in the family. I was gonna ask any anybody else pursue it. Uh, no, I'm the only one really. <laughs> my uh, my sister was singing for a while in the '80s and. Uh, really good voice, and she, then finally she was just like, eh. and then she became a music manager, and then she just got sick of musicians, and <laughs> you know, well, uh, he, and then she became she a hung tutor. in there for a long while. <laughs> my brother, my brother Sean, um, he was no longer with us. He mm-hmm. uh, he could play like tooth. He could just pick up something and play it, but I don't think he ever played. He, he was just the performing thing wasn't like in front of people wasn't for him. And I'm kind of even though I'm a, I, don't know, I was a shy kid, I like performing in front of people. Clearly, I mean, I did stand up and this, <laughs> right? And and you're going for all the money makers. Very, yeah, very little theater. Um, <laughs> oh, did you hear the uh, uh, the writers' strike is over? I heard or that they had it, reached a tentative agreement. Yeah. I didn't hear it was ratified. Yeah, but all right, well, so that's one hurdle clear. Yes, no, I uh, there was so, so I can go back to being unemployed in that realm. Yeah, no, I I briefly had a, a writing. Job. It was um, it was like 2009 or whatever. I got fired from some job I had been at for like six years, and it turns out the the person they kept instead of me had been stealing money from them. So oh geez, karma, you know? Yeah, right. So they fired me, and I'm like, fine, whatever. And uh, so I was on unemployment. But then uh, I had done some VH1 thing, one of those talking head things. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like sponsored by Wendy's or whatever. It was just it was just it's called like sizzling songs or whatever. I don't even know if I made it to TV. It was definitely on the website. It might've been on TV once or twice, but yeah, basically what they do is just, they give you, you know, songs and, blah, 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 and either someone writes the jokes for you or you write your own. And I wrote all my own. So, uh, I mean, those things got to be kind of weird to do anyway, to yeah. be, to do that with somebody else's jokes would probably be very surreal. It's real. Yeah. I, I mean, I just like, I took all of them. I wrote, I mean, some of them, I was just like Miley Cyrus once. I had no idea. Whatever, <laughs> clueless. So I, I wrote a bunch of these jokes, and some guy from VH1 he put the thing out, and then uh, this guy Fred Graver, who's kind of a famous guy, he wrote for uh, Letterman, and he wrote a bunch of uh, Cheers episodes. He heard about it from that guy, and he's like, "Hey, I'm doing this uh, app where we did um, just basically called uh, This Just In, and it was uh, all topical jokes. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was a lot of people like like uh, Laurie Kilmartin, like a lot of people oh, I had yeah, to compete yeah. with, you know. And again, I was kind of unemployed at this point so i would get up in the morning like seven and i would just look at cnn and i would just email him 10 jokes and if you got one joke passed you know you got a little money you got two jokes passed if you got three jokes passed you were the man you know that was i was trying to think of some of the jokes i did oh um french courts have convicted the church of scientology of organized fraud or in other words of being a church that was that was like it had to be like really right in and out the former home of Pablo Escobar has been turned into a theme park. And just like Disneyland, the lines will be long and white. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> um, but yeah, I did that for like a few months and I thought like, you know, like apps, you know, some apps don't work. So after a few months it, it folded and I figured like, oh, well, I got this under my belt. I could, and I just tried to get. Parlay it into something else. Nothing. I couldn't get anything. And that's kind of was like the beginning of the end of me doing stand up Cause then I, I went on a couple more auditions, didn't get them. And then I started running the show here. Right, which um, I actually did once or twice, I remember. Yeah, she did. It was a lot of fun. At the beginning, yeah, with the, the, the Fifth Street location here at Freddy's. And then after I did it for like about a year or so, and I was like, I want to play music again. And I had been, everyone needs a drummer. Even right, right now, even though I'm in a full-time band, I've played with seven other people in the last <laughs> two months. Everyone, you know. So then I started to do that. And then after a while, I'm like, I was doing both. But, you know, I was not at home at all. <laughs> and I was right. like doing like two or three comedy shows. And I do like a, a band show. And then and then I got my own dog walking business. And I was just exhausted. So I had right, to, I had to right. pick something. I, I, I think I remember when you first officially started that. Because I think you were like doing it a little bit more informally before you did, right? 2011 is when I started it, basically. 
So actually, you know what? I want I want to walk you back for a minute uh, again to that that moment just pre taking the comedy class. With regards to music, did you have any plan of what you were going to attempt to do, or a clear idea of like actually what you wanted to do? Because you, you say you, you consider yourself primarily uh, first and foremost a songwriter, then, right? Yeah, like, make a living at it. That's at first you're just like we're gonna be bigger than Nirvana, and then it's just like. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be mid-levels. Like, I just want to make a living at it. It's like, uh, I can have a regular job, but I just want to tour here and there. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you, you, you're, you know, your standards go down a little bit. Yeah, make a living at it. Be a little famous, but not like Taylor Swift level. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, I was going to say. Don't Pete. tell yourself short, buddy. Yeah. Uh, you are the you know, next When you think Taylor of me, Swift. you think of Taylor Swift. <laughs> I, I, yes, and, and I won't I don't share know what why. else I think of. But, I don't um, know why I would even... <laughs> I, I, could, I could I could have picked anybody. Wolf Mother, okay? <laughs> we could be as big as Wolf Mother. <laughs> there, there's a conversation that doesn't always collide. Yes. Um, anyway, so 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 now when 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 you start exploring stand up, how did you envision that working with it? Just like this is another way for me to you know do art, or did you think this was a a, a better path? Or I don't know. I uh, I was still playing with bands while I almost right. like the entire time while I was I was doing it. It's weird. I think back on this, and you can't really go back. But yeah. when I was in Harvard Square, the comedy studio, I used to do a lot of weird things, mm-hmm. uh, like real, like almost like uh, performance pieces. I did this thing once. I was like, okay, this song is called Attention Deficit Disorder Blues. And I just had a guitar with a delay pedal on it. I just played this blues riff. And then I just kind of look around the room. I put the guitar down, and I just I had like a video game console, and I just started playing like Atari. <laughs> and then I started eating chips, and I just look, and I had a fake fridge. I walked out of the club and went downstairs, and my friend goes like, "You realize you were downstairs for five minutes while the guitar is going do 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 do," <laughs> and then I came back, and then I was just like, I had to have someone else shut it off, and you know I would do stuff like that. When I moved here, I was hosting a show. I would do some of the weird stuff, but it was, I don't know, I think I was just too focused on it's doing my five. It's hard to do that as a host, though. And also, just to do other shows, I think I was just focused on doing, get, you know, getting your five minutes down. I need my TV five minutes, and I think I concentrated too much on that, you know, in retrospect. I think I should have just explored uh, where I was uh, going before I'd come here. Like, um, who's that guy? Was Mike Dorval, was that his name? This is comic. He was basically like a performance artist guy and he was just hilarious and i would just see him i'm like i wish i could do this because he would just go on stage and he wouldn't even say anything and he just starts like 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 he's convulsing but then he's but he's clearly trying to be a pitcher on the mound and he puts like a bunch of bubble gum in his mouth he's like <laughs> and he just goes into this bugs bunny wind up and this whole thing takes like two minutes uh, and then finally he just like in slow motion he just goes randy johnson and it's like I'm like, that's the punchline. It's like but this whole weird thing where you're laughing. I'm like, what the hell is this, this guy doing? This sounds like something out of surf reality or collective unconscious. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was kind of like that. Speaking of which, uh, surf reality. Was it surf reality? Yeah, because I used to, you know, when I moved here, you, you did any mic you could do. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes I'd play music and sometimes I'd, uh, I'd do jokes and stuff. And you always had, you want, you had to get on within the first hour or so. Because yeah. if you went on at like one in the morning, you were dead. So my wife had never had never been there and I, I took her there once you know and I was just like oh yeah I think I'm gonna maybe play a song but I, I signed up and I, it was like too late to really you know I didn't want to keep her there too long because it was sure. going on for hours but I'm like I oh, will just check it out right I bring her there and uh you know there's a couple of things going on and there was like this little film strip that someone did <laughs> and there were these part of it were these two guys sitting on the couch jerking off this guy behind me goes oh you can't unsee that and i'm like okay i just brought my wife to see this i'm like hey honey i'm gonna do some performance uh oh yeah sorry (laughs) i don't even know what the point of it was but i just remember the guy behind me going oh you can't unsee that (laughs) welcome to new york yeah welcome to (laughs) surfing well well well, now uh a couple of things Uh, um i'm piecing things together here. So so the the band that opened for Morphine, you were still in uh in Boston at the time. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a band called The Keep. Uh yeah, it was uh, in on Lansdowne Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was and it was 92, it was a while ago. Had the decision to move to New York come. See, I was in The Keep for a bit and then I dropped out of that to play guitar and Mothman and we played for a few years and you know, and then I was doing stand up. And I had met my wife, my girlfriend at the time, 
Uh, she always kind of wanted to move to New York. And I still, I had that Louis C.K. thing in the back of my head. Give it four years, I'd move to New York. And I didn't want to move to L.A., so I moved to New York. <laughs> and uh, we did have friends here, too. Okay. So like my friend helps. Tim Carey, that, that used to work at the old Freddy's, who's in a band in Boston called Trusty Sidekick now. There, I plugged your band, Tim. I'm just plugging people. <laughs> you you, you sound a, like you've got the oddest combination of plugging friend stuff and sounding a little bitter about it. Yeah, but so she had always wanted to move to New she York. She wanted to because her family always used to take her to New York to go to Broadway or whatever. Mm-hmm. My, my family never dug me to New York. Uh, I've been in New York twice before then. I did a gig with a band called Tonic Puppy, which is basically the keep with a different bass player. Yeah. Uh, that we played like, what's it, the Lion's Den or the Red Lion or... One of those Bleecker Street. Yeah, one of those Bleecker Street, yeah. yeah. And then a band Mothman and I played guitar. We played, yeah, it slipped out. I said guitar <laughs> when I was playing guitar. Uh, we played someplace. I have no idea if it exists. This was 96, and that was the only two times I'd been in New York. Mm-hmm. And But me and Ellen had come here a couple of times to, like, you know, just vacation. Yeah. Um, and one of them, I think, was, like, like the day after, like, George Harrison died or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was, it was like November of 2001, and it was really warm out. I don't know if you remember, like, no, right around that, it was just, it was, like, 75 degrees and uh, yeah. or maybe 80, like, ridiculous. I just remember went to a strawberry field, you know, and they have that thing and all the people with the guitars around going, uh, and I'm sitting there just losing my shit because they're playing all Lennon and McCartney songs. I'm like, how hard is it to play my sweet Lord? Right. I mean, come on, here comes the sun. Give me the guitar. <laughs> Idiots. I'm just like, oh. how, how many fatalities that day, Pat? Oh, God, no, no. See, it's shit like this. It just, it's like the movie Field of Dreams. It's, how hard is it to get someone to bat left-handed? Come on, Shoeless Joe Jackson. It's like they made the esoteric. I was arguing with someone the other day about this. They made the esoteric like effort to like come up with Moonlight Graham, who did exist, right? But they can't get someone to bat left-handed. Left-handed. Yeah. I mean, what was Ray Liotta in the movie for like two minutes? I'm like, give me a break. Yeah. It's like, see, this, this is the kind of shit that gets me angry. <laughs> So, so tell me about other things that trouble you, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about the Dave Matthews band. <laughs> Fuck those. Anyways. Oh, this is this is funny. Uh, apropos of nothing, it's just kind of, I think this is a funny story. So, I don't know. I stopped doing this. I stopped going on social media and, like, and just shitting on people's whatever. Just because, right. what's the point? But I was doing it at this point. And it was like this thing, Dave Matthews, blah, 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 blah. And I just wrote something derogatory. I don't know why. I, I don't really like Dave Matthews' music. <laughs> He's probably a nice guy. Uh, so I just <laughs> I just wrote something. And then some guy was just like, listen, pal, you suck. And then he found out what band I was in and went to all our YouTube videos and hit dislike. So like, oh, jeez. And the, you can't even see that feature in YouTube anymore. <laughs> but back when you could, like, we would have one dislike for every video. And it's that one angry Dave Matthews <laughs> fan. We get it, get it, get it. That's Gotta give him credit for being, being, you know, uh, um, you know, dogged about it. Oh, I know. It's just, but it's just kind of like you, you, you think no one's gonna get ticked off at something you say, and someone's going to. It doesn't even matter. You could just say like, "Ice cube trays are great." You're an asshole. You know, uh, everyone's is, gonna get mad about something, especially now. I think well, social yeah. media and also the uh, pandemic. I think just people just started losing their minds. Well, I, I also think it started with the sort of mentality that led to the way the election went in 2016. You know, like we're so used to being inundated by an approach to everything that attacks first. I think people are just a little bit worn down by this. Like we're so used to being assaulted that we're ready to fight. And they're like, dude, you're fighting about Dave Matthews by someone who didn't even like really trash him. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. <laughs> just one little comment and you're losing your mind. It's like, you know. I'm I'm sure Dave appreciates your support, but you know the thing with uh, he who shall not be mentioned uh, when he won in uh, 2016. I think like those of us our age, we remember when he ran in 2000. Everyone laughed at it. It's just like, oh, shut up, go away. And yeah. then in 2016, I'm just like, oh, he's not going to get the nomination. And then I was like, oh, he's not going to. And then everyone got apathetic. And then we're like. Oh, shit, the Electoral College, I forgot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, right, People exactly, forget about that. Exactly. It's like 17 people in Wyoming, but you know what? They they, they, <laughs> they get three electoral votes. 
Cut to tomorrow, there'll be all these people from Wyoming disliking pets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Videos. <laughs> all right, that's half a million people in Wyoming. Are you happy? <laughs> There's more people in Rhode Island. Isn't Harrison Ford from there, or is that Montana? He's from one of those middle of the country. Uh, <laughs> I don't recall. The, the guy, Bill Doty, who's, um, who's putting some of our songs in his movies, he's from Idaho. So that's, Oh, okay. I've been to 37 states. I, I was going to ask how many, because you know, you've toured with bands and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, there's a, the section of the country, there's the, the square states in the middle. I just haven't been to those or any of the Dakotas. I've been to everything east of the Mississippi. As far as west of the Mississippi, like, you know, Texas and California. I just went to Washington. I went to Seattle recently just to hang out. With three different bands, I've toured, like, a lot of the Midwest and the South and, you know. Do you have a particular part of the country you like uh, performing, other than New York, obviously, or hopefully? We go back to Boston a lot, or the Boston area. Mm-hmm. Philly, we played Philly five times. No, I'd, I'd like to go to more places. I mean, we played Austin, but that was like it was South by Southwest adjacent. It wasn't we were. Right, right. But the right. funny thing was, I've, uh, this movie that I was in called American Bomber. My friend Eric Trinkamp, the guy who did uh, our video, he directed it and he got it into the South by Southwest Film Festival. So the band was playing during South by <laughs> adjacent, Southwest adjacent, but your video was at. And then and then the movie was actually uh, being shown in some little you know small uh, theater. One thing I remember about that it was just like oh it was it was free beer. And I'm just like, yeah, you don't know what you get yourself into here. <laughs> the free beer with us. I was gonna say, there's no way that ever goes off the rails. Yeah. Uh, you know what? So I got I got a, a free beer story. I think this. We probably knew each other. I don't know if you you were doing our show at that point. We brief period of time we were in between homes for the show, and some trust fund kid was starting up a place in in Williamsburg, and I forget how we got put in touch with each other, but. He heard some of the people that were doing our show. I'm like, oh, it'd be great. You can get people like that? Sure, I can. And he came up with this great plan. His great plan was we were going to be weekly at his cafe. And for the first hour, there was going to be free beer. And there's no cover. The second hour, there was going to be $1 mixed drinks. We lasted there a month. So that's four shows. Was it free beer for like the, the people who are going to see the show? The free beer was for people in the venue. Okay, so even just people just watching the show? Yes. <laughs> this kid didn't go to business school, did he? If you didn't know he was a trust fund kid, just look at this. That's all you yes. need to know. And we were, we were given the hook uh, at the end of the, the month um, because our people weren't buying enough. You do remember that one hour of free beer followed yeah. by one hour of, of dollar mixed drinks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's also the venue's fault for agreeing to do that. He owned the place. So oh, it was okay, all, okay. He wasn't just right. a promoter or producer. Oh, he was just. This was his baby. And he, and, and like. <laughs> this is his baby and he left it at the bus station. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much how that went. Uh, it, that place didn't last long. I, actually, I think the venue may have survived in different mutations or whatever. But it was like really funny. Uh, one night. Two hipsters came in. They're sitting at the end of the bar, loudly talking about the baseball game on the TV while the show is going on. And one of our comics had gotten there early for the free beer. Yeah. Let's just say this was not a scene of happiness in Williamsburg. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we were going to have our own little race riot in there. And it would have been the worst fight ever. Because yes. everybody had been drinking free beer for an hour. God. <laughs> I think this occurred during the $1 mixed drink period. But uh, but your people just aren't just not buying enough. Right. Yes. Give them a reason to buy yeah. something. You know? Even if you just had half dr- drinks half off. Yeah. The first hour. That that's that's a deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. especially because there's no cover. There's no cover, yeah. no minimum. I used to live in Williamsburg, so I, <laughs> I mean, I lived near the kind of the Hasidic uh, Dominican side there with the, mm-hmm. the, the J train going through the, the right, right. I know like what you're the Blues about. Brothers, like right up against the, you know. I would go into Williamsburg, and I would just see these boutiques that were empty all the time, and yeah. it's just they do kids that were just giving money, and no, they you know they're probably. Back in Greenwich, Connecticut, right now, but well, there is that. They probably just moved. You know, they probably just moved here to be cool and just then moved back. 
Yeah, and then they got tired and moved on to whatever was amusing them at that time. Yeah, yeah, whatever you know, that they had. But it was the thing, like, sure, but look what you left behind. Yes. You know, and, and <laughs> I'll talk about a place I don't recognize. I was uh, I was going to see a friend of mine's gig, uh, music gig, I think it was a main drag in Williamsburg. And I lived there in 2002, three, four, where you could like buy like a six pack of Rheingold and just go down to the river and just, you know, Fourth of July, you could see like the, the the fireworks boats going by. It was great. It's like all oh, people would go down there. Yeah, those are all. It's all buildings. The the entire thing. It's just completely unrecognizable. Yeah, I get why they did that, but still, you know. Well, you know, it, it's always like it's one of those things that uh, you can understand certainly a, a, a chunk of it intellectually, but when it's like one of your places that yeah. got co opted, yeah. you know. But like, damn it, this is what I liked about this place, you know. I don't know. I've I haven't hung out there. I mean, I think I a lot of people had like moved to Bushwick. The thing about Bushwick though, it's it's still Bushwick. It's still <laughs> I mean, it's still, you know, there's you can like like get off a train and go to a club or you just and you're you're going miles, maybe not miles, but like a half mile of just no street lights, no, you know. Oh yeah. So, and you're taking off the people who are actually from there. <laughs> so. so you land in New York and, and you're, you you when you land in New York, you're, you're a little bit more focused. It's maybe I'm wrong. It sounds like you were a little bit more focused on stand up at that point. Yes. And it, was this, you know, lack of musical roots in the city or was it just, eh, that's where you well, were Well, it's at funny. I was starting to record a solo album before I left and then I finished it with just acoustic stuff in this kitchen I had, which had the great acoustics but I, I would have to do them in between the train going in the window you know it's, it's, <laughs> right right yeah i'd have to wait for like you know for that and i'm just like okay and then i would just dub over bass and stuff like that so i had that i never actually released it i still have it someplace but oh I, man I'd, I'd been, like to hear that i've been here for two weeks and my friend tim's like hey uh, i'm trusty sidekick the band that he's in now that's still going on it's like yeah uh, you want to play in the band i'm like yeah why not i'll do it so you need a drummer no we need a guitarist i'm like oh i can play rhythm no we need a lead guitarist uh, have we met tim <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not exactly alvin lee here uh, all right pat let's get a reference that isn't from 1975 um <laughs> could have said clapton i guess uh, but yeah, so I was like the so I got here and I was just the, the, the music geeks in our circle will appreciate your efforts. Yeah, and uh, I knew a, f- a few people like uh, comedy wise. I knew like Patrick Borelli had a show at the mm. oh the the Gershwin Gershwin yeah. yeah. You know and, the Gershwin uh, that wasn't a thing for long, but they had some some good people pass through there. When I first went there, I, I just went there to check the show out. And I'm like looking around. I'm like, that's that's when I met like Afira, and you know all those people. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and I would just see people. I'm like, wait a minute, I've seen this person on Comedy Central. I think you know. I remember I did I did the show once, and um, and uh, um, actually no, one time I was going to the show, uh, and that the show had gotten out, and I just seen uh, what was that? Uh, uh Terry Gilliam. Um, he did that. That Don Quixote thing. Oh, uh, okay. but it was like a, it was like a documentary. I can't think of the name of it. Right on the failure of that but film yeah, to get made yeah. or whatever. So I was I was just coming back. I had just seen that, and I was going at the Gershwin show right at the end of it, and I was just talking to some people, and uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's really good." And uh, this guy turns turns around and goes like, "Oh, uh, I was thinking of seeing that. Do you recommend it?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And I look, it's Ed Helms. He was on the Daily Show then, so I, so I knew who he was. I think the first show I saw there it was a lineup of either like Letterman writers or Daily Show writers. But yeah. it was like folks who were out there in the trenches, you mm-hmm. know. And it was yeah. like, oh, this is it was what five bucks to get in. I, I think Liam McEnany was the host. I want to get Liam on, on the show at some point. Mm-hmm. He was he's out in L.A. And he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes back here once in a while. But you know, but he was so entrenched in that scene at that point, you know. Yeah. So that scene is what's po- uh, part of what's popping when you first hit New York, right? Yeah. No, it's funny. I just I would take any show I could get. So I, I, that was like a show I I knew I could get once in a while, and then I would just go around the village. I'm like, oh, comedy show. There was <laughs> this comedy show was just like, hey, blah blah, blah. and it was kind of like a open mic, but it was one of those. Um, 
Poppy Kramer used to call suddenly stand up. Like one of those things, like you're in a place, like oh, there's a stand up show. And it was in this, um, uh, it's like Thai restaurant, this tiny place. And I went in, it was a nightmare. And then the people running were like, oh, we do the show up in 50th Street. I'm like, oh, I did that. And then, and then I, they put me on like last, last, and it was a nightmare. And I'm just like, all right, I need to hang around with some people here. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, and then I got a couple shows. And then I started running at Sullivan. I think that started oh. April 2003 is when that started. And you know, you're talking about this. I don't know why this this came to mind, but uh, you're talking about the, sh- the the show with the uh, the alcohol and everything. Mm-hmm. It was a Monday, so I would just you know, it wasn't like I, I was. It was easier getting people at this location, I think. At the other location, it was cause the the Emma Domain thing. Everything was happening, but uh, sometimes like uh, I would just try to have sketch groups because they would have like eh, there's it appears to be people, and I would get my right, friends and then, in there. then you suddenly have a bunch of bodies in the place yeah. to start out. But with, I, my yeah. friends would hang out too. But I remember I was talking to uh, this guy who John Frieger, who I thought was hilarious. He started doing it, and me and him would like uh, starting out together and audition and everything. And then he just had this job, so he just that made money. So he kind of quit comedy. But he he was like, "Hey, uh, I did uh, this uh, this show with a sketch group. Uh, they they seem to you know have people. Uh, why don't you have them on?" I'm like, "Okay." So I had the show where the ske- and the sketch group was just like, "No, we're not going on last. We're gonna go like on, but you know, kind of." T- I'm like. All right. And uh, and they brought a ton of people. I mean, like the back room was like filled, you know, and I had people there anyways, but it was I went up there to their crowd. I went up. I destroyed just just, you know, you know, hosting usually just like, uh, you know, I killed. Mm-hmm. And then I, I brought up a couple of heavy hitters and stuff and they killed. And then I brought up some people I had never seen before. They killed. It was like, <laughs> like four comics. And then I bring their friends up the the sketch group. Crickets. Oh, damn. They hated their friends. They were just, and I was just kind of like, oh my God, this is this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And so, and they were supposed to do like 15 minutes. He did like 25. And I'm like, oh my God. So I went up trying to defuse the situation. Sure, sure. I kill again. Like I do five minutes and, not, and then I, I bring up two comics I had never seen before. Uh, both killed. And like everyone killed except <laughs> the sketch except group. Except the sketch group. Who brought the 40 people. Wow. And, uh, and, it was like, and I'm like, I can't book them again. Out of like good consciousness, I just can't. I just, uh, sure, sure. I, I just, that's, that's, you know, I can't, I can't use people that badly. But, that, but that's crazy. They're like their they're own friends and that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? One time, like sometimes I would have like bands on there. Like, you know, if they weren't too, too loud. I had this band, uh, it's like Vic Ruggiero or something. I had a guy that's in his band. I can't think of his name right now because my brain doesn't work. Uh, the guy is like a sax player, but he's played with everybody. Relatively famous, like, you know, session and uh, live performer. Do you remember what year you played with our band? It should set this up. Pat was someone who used to do our show a lot uh, as a stand-up. When I first met you, I didn't know that you were a musician. I didn't know you played drums. I found out along the way. And our house band's drummer... Alex D'Souza, uh became, as they say, with child. And she played up until the time. I mean, the fact that that kid is not a drummer at 11 is, is yes. astounding. She was behind that kid almost to the moment she dropped. Uh, you know, to the kid dropped. Um, but, it, you know, she was going to be away for a while. And we asked you to sit in. We, we really enjoyed playing with you, man. Yeah. And it was nice to see you on the regular but now I'm I'm bringing that up in part because that that's got to be what about 2011 maybe around then yeah somewhere around then because I know on some of those shows where I played uh, drums and I did that even twice played after on, right on, on, right on one of those I think so that's that had to be at least 2012 yeah so 2011 yeah, yeah. Actually, 2012 at least because yeah because her son is now 11 so yeah yeah it works about time wise yeah so um. I bring that up actually not to, to reminisce on on all your your battles at getting past security to do the show that you did every week, but um, <laughs> a nod to the late Father Vincent. Yes, but um, but if I'm not mistaken, that's around the time that you you started to rededicate yourself a little bit more to music. Is that accurate? Yeah, it was 2012. Yeah, because we started playing uh, even twice. Started rehearsing like 2011. Uh, and then we came up with the name, like, and then we just did a gig here at Freddy's. Where, where do you know Bob from? Bob Hayes, uh, the bass player. Uh, the old Freddy's. He used to hang out at the old Freddy's. Okay. So, but you hadn't. Uh, I met around 2007. Um, 
And uh, at the time, I was I was actually playing guitar with a band called the Umlauts mm-hmm. while doing stand up. Again, I'm always doing both at one point mm-hmm. until recently. Mm-hmm. I was like got tired. Um, <laughs> but I thought about 2007, no. 2008, and used to you know we'd hung out, we'd hang out and you know esoteric music uh, references, and he would show up to some stand up shows, and you know so everyone got to know him that way. And then, yeah, 2012, 2013, it was ridiculous. So, man, you know, I didn't realize you guys were were past a decade into this, yeah. man. You've been making some good music for a long while, this, man. This thing we're recording now will be our fourth album. I was going to ask how many you had. So, yeah, and we had, to, we had to take two years off. It was the pandemic. Oh, and sure. then there was, like, you know, health issues and family stuff that happened. So, like, 2000, 2020 and 2021 were just a wash. So, I mean, you could take those two years off. Talk to me about even twice. Yeah, no, even twice was. Uh, I don't even know if I. Can You've say had it. the same lineup the entire time. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think of a band. <laughs> to be, somebody to be quits, very clear, uh, we're screwed. Um, to be very clear, yeah. that it, this is a, a two-person band, and uh, I, there's two things with that. One is that it does give you a, a unique sound, but also you guys always sound like there's so much more music in the room than what you would imagine to be played by two guys. Yeah. No, we started, uh, we were going to have a guitar player when we started. We didn't have a name yet. We were going to audition guitar players. And after a while, we just, like, hey, let's just rehearse. Mm-hmm. And then we just started playing. It was some song I had written Sorry. on bass years ago called Bring Me the Head of John Q. Public, which is on the first album. And I was just like, and, and I'm showing Bob who's a much better bass player than me. And I'm just showing him. And so and that was like the first thing we did that. And we did Hush by Deep Purple or Deep Purple's version of Hush. It was like our first <laughs> rehearsal. We did that. And we just started writing songs as if, you know, I I used to like, I have an idea for a song, here's a guitar, but I'm just like, after a while I was just, all right, on bass, and then he'd bring something on bass, or I would just like, right half the time now I'm just like playing drums and humming a melody. So Mm -hmm. just like, I think, you know, we'll see what it gets where We've been working together so long now, I imagine you've got that shorthand that you can do it like that. Yeah. That's a hard thing to, as I've, in recent years, Dabbled with stand up, with stand up, with songwriting and, and music and singing. I do not read or write music, nor do I play an instrument. So uh, when I get song ideas, it's really hard to That's not something you can do with everybody, even if they're good musicians. Yeah. You know, so that that's like a, a special thing to be able it's, to have. Well, it's weird because I'm, I play drums with a lot of other people, just, just people need drummers. And I mean, I, I was here last night just because uh, my wife was working Sundays for whatever reason. And my friend Alex Sherba is just like, hey, this open mic thing. And this guy, he's like asking if you want to play drums. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'd never met this guy, but I'm just like, just start playing. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't King Crimson. So I, I could figure it out. It was, you know, a lot of it was like loaded era Velvet Underground-esque mm. or, you know, modern lovers. So I'm like, okay, I can figure that out. I did a country gig recently and I had to buy some brushes. Because uh, well, you've seen me play, I'm I, I, yeah, I'm pretty good. I had to restrain you, myself. The, the streets are littered with 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 drum drum kits killed by Pat O'Shea. And there's two people I play that were in the power, power pop thing recently, and I I got to do a jazz gig. A young Ethel's <laughs> coming up on oh, top of, on top of the gigs I'm doing with uh, with Bob. I've I've had two or three people ask me to be a full time drummer, and it's like I can't. I have a full time band where I'm co writing the songs, so I just said. I'll fill in. That's that's my mm-hmm. whole thing. I'll mm-hmm. fill in. Yeah, a couple of them. I, mean, I like country, but I just playing drums country full time. I don't think I could do. <laughs> I mean, I could I, do I would it. like to look. I I, I I can do it. I was gonna say I, I know you're ver- I know you're versatile enough to play in a style other than you play with your own band. But it, it and I've heard you do it, and you you're just you you're a great player. And knowing you a little bit as I do, I. I'm very amused at the idea of you playing country, yeah. country I just, and western. I do it. I do it like I try to do a lot of country swing because I was I was a jazz drummer. That's how I was trained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like to do more jazz. I'm I'm doing kind of a semi jazz gig coming up, but uh, yeah, I I'll never be as good as I want to be. You know. Well, you you my voice has gotten person, better. So <laughs> singing wise, but you're, you're a person who pushes yourself hard too, and you're passionate about the work and that. It, you may never be satisfied, but that doesn't mean you're not hitting the marks that you were shooting for. Yeah. You know, 
Um, so, so, all right, you, you were telling me, I believe, uh, before we got on mic, I'm, I'm losing track here, but um, you were talking about it, even Twice's music being used in some film stuff now, right? Yeah. There was a movie that it was using called Fugued Up, which had, had been released. And there's a newer movie that I'm, I, I don't know the title of right now, but I, was, I, was, I could look it up. <laughs> just, <laughs> you put me on the spot. I, mean, I just found out about this. Oh, uh, okay. They use yeah, it over the, no. the credits and stuff. So, but, no uh, worries. We'll, we'll, we'll mention it when the film is coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know. But the the other fugued up, it's 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 in there. It's in you know. I know uh, Charlie Sheen's brothers in the movie. Not Charlie Sheen's brother. Charlie Sheen's uncle, Martin Sheen's brother, is <laughs> in the movie. And also the uh, the guy uh, to uh, no soup for you, the uh, soup Nazi and uh, oh, oh, what's his face? Yeah, Larry Thomas. I want to say. I, I I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. I like that guy's work. Yeah. So what was the. The straw that, that broke the back on, on comedy. Oh, that was the um, when the uh, the app thing uh, kind of collapsed and I couldn't find a writing job. Okay. But, I mean, for stand-up as well, you were just like, eh, done well, with it? Well, I, I started redoing the show at this loca- at this Freddy's location. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't getting auditions anymore. I wasn't getting Montreal auditions anymore. I wasn't getting TV auditions. I was auditioning for commercials, and I don't really like doing commercials. Um, mm. Some people, that's like their, oh, I got to, you know, it's money, but I don't know. Well, you know, let, let, let's talk about money then, too, because, it, you know, moving into and living in New York, um, uh, you know, all these bands that you play this gig here, to, uh, uh, any of these, you know, how are the bills getting paid is my, my, my question. Dog walking. Dog walking. Yeah. And it started out informally? Uh, I started in 2011. I, I was working at a kennel, and uh, they had a dog walking service there. And the the girl that I was just working at the front desk, and the girl that was the the main dog walker was always sick, so I was like covering for her. And then the the place was kind of going under, and uh, so the guy who owned the place just gave me a bunch of dogs. It was to walk, and it was and I was on unemployment then. It's like mm-hmm. the, that whole that whole era. Uh, so I had two golden retrievers, a flat coated retriever, and a yellow lab. Those were the four dogs, and I just made up a bunch of cards. And it was in Park Slope, and I just built up my empire from there. <laughs> Although, so, so you've had your own dog walking business for more than a decade as well. Then twelve, right? yeah, twelve years. I usually do like Park Slope or South Slope or Gowanus. I used to do Crown Heights, but I had to consolidate because I bike I bike about 15 miles a day mm-hmm, and walk mm-hmm. about 12 miles a day. So other than that, you don't get any exercise, right? Oh, I, I swim three times a week, too. If I didn't drink beer, I'd be like an Adonis, but, you know, that's where we're at. <laughs> well, you know, you found a way pizza to Pizza and beer. I got to I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta counteract the pizza and beer here. So you, you've been dedicated to the music for more than a decade now, right? Yeah, so uh, what happened was when I was running at Sullivan and Acid here, it was just getting to the point where it was just like, all right, I, I'm not, you know, I wasn't even performing anywhere else stand-up-wise. I was just doing this. I was just... I was right. Just, I, I remember you were just doing your own show at just, that point because just, it was kind of an institution. Ed Sullivan on acid was... 11 years. Of, it, was around, it was around 11 years. Yeah, I knew you made more than a decade because I, I, I think I may have come to an anniversary show or something. And it well, was, what happened was I did it seven years at the previous Freddy's location, mm-hmm. and I was doing it for like four years here. I just got burned out, and I was like, I got to concentrate. So Calvin Cato, because ah. I, I said, Calvin, you want to take the show over? So it was Calvin Cato, Richard James, and uh, Justin Murray. I was like, you guys want to take this over because I'm just, I, I want to keep the show, and I like it, and I'm, I'll maybe I'll like host if you need me, but I just, I want to keep the show, but I want to keep it in-house. Yeah. So they ran it for, what was that? It was, I think the last one was 2014 or early 2015, and they ran it for like four, four and a half years, and then the pandemic happened, and uh, they're off doing other things. Justin moved to Utah, I think. There's other comedians doing shows in here, but I, I'm so far out of the loop. I was hanging out here once, and I, because usually I'll see like these comedians. I don't know who the hell they are. I'm just again, I'm out of the loop. But yeah. I see, I see like um, this uh, the guy who runs the, uh, the the show later tonight. He came up. He's like, "Oh yeah, we're having a uh, Ray DeVito." I'm like, "Ray DeVito? I haven't seen him in a million oh, wow. years." Ray and Liz Millie. I'm like, "Liz Millie? I know that guy. Liz Millie. She, she plays the world." Yeah, it truly. She's like 
the more frequent flyer miles than any comic I know. I think. Oh, I know. And I, I saw. I was just like, what is this? I think I said, well, what is this? Holy 2007 Batman. What is, what is this? The, what is this? The duplex in 2007? <laughs> yeah, right? How has the even twice ride been? Do you have specific goals? Yes. Just, just, we yes, just we do. We actually have a manager, someone who's booking some of our shows now, our Bryn. She's, she's the one that booked the Bowery Electric. Bowery mm. Electric, uh, Saturday uh, matinee show, Saturday the 28th of October. But uh, yeah, she's helping and. In, in, yeah, we're we're still trying to we we were still trying to do stuff right when the pandemic happened because we had just put the last album out and we was just like okay we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and we were actually thinking of playing in Japan because uh, my friend Phil does business over there and he played a bunch of our stuff and it's like it's like I you guys can get a bunch of shows out here if you want and I'm like great and we were actually planning to like play Japan because apparently they like us out there. <laughs> And then the pandemic happened. So, oh man, any thoughts of reviving that? Maybe we're trying to. We're, we're shipping. We're shipping this record out just to see if anyone has any interest. Any, I know labels aren't what they were, right? Right. But at least they can, you know, they can get you in front of some people. Yeah, yeah. No, they they can be be an aid to getting the word out and getting ears. Yeah, we're gonna we'll make a couple more videos and we'll. Do a couple more tours. We're just gonna keep doing it. So the new al- new album is out, or it's it is not. To- it is uh, recorded, and it's this. We need to mix it and stuff like that. It's it's close. It's close. We're just trying to figure out how to put it out. Gotcha. Well, well, when when you figured that out, let me know. We'll we'll announce the release date or whatever. Yeah, we may have like a music video coming out soon, so I'll definitely let you know about that. Yeah, like please. a new a new one. <laughs> So all right, so so uh, so but basically, you guys are, are are getting back into the it, it, the post lockdown yeah. flow and, and spring and, spring of twenty twenty two is when we started to get back into it. And and uh, do you, do you have any tour plans coming up? This second, no. But um, I mean, we may do a couple of one-nighters like New Haven or Providence. Yeah, because I, I know I know you were on the road uh, one point this summer. Um, not the <laughs> band. I, I the band wasn't. You, <laughs> I asked you to play on the No Name softball team. Like, ah, we got some date out of town dates. No, I was just out of town. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll just cut that out. Yes. That's that a little unprofessional. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I was just out of town. I think I had to do some family stuff. No, it was. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but anyway, I, listen. The 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 music you have out there is great, and I really can't wait to hear what what's coming up next. And uh, keep us posted, and and uh, be seeing you in the clubs, and listen to you in the headphones. Awesome, man! Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much. That was our conversation with Pat O'Shea. From Freddy's Bar in Brooklyn. I realized after I spoke with Pat, I didn't do what I normally do, which is I normally at some point will say, well, can you tell us where people can find your music, purchase stuff, whatever. But I'm here to tell you, you can listen to the music of Even Twice by going to their website. It is eventwice.net. Eventwice.net. Go there, and I, I know right off the top of my head of a gig they're having, a very unusual gig for them. They'll actually be playing a Saturday afternoon gig at Bowery Electric, Saturday, October 28th, 3 p.m., and go. They are fucking amazing. Go. You will have a good time. There'll be other bands, too, but at 3 o'clock, even twice, Bowery Electric, Saturday, October 28th, and I think I've made some amends here for forgetting to ask him about that. With an eye towards wrapping this thing, we're going to finish off with a song from them. But first, I want to thank everyone who makes this thing happen. Gary Hardcastle, our producer, chief sound engineer, and just grand poobah of the whole shebang. In other words, it's his fault. Additional sound provided by Miles Mix Appeal Blues Boost. Our opening and closing music is written and performed by King of the Hill, Courtney Hill. Tip of the cap to our production assistants. That would be Stanley Recio and Jeremy Pueo. And now we're going to play a song from Even Twice. You can find them online as well. Purchase music. This song is called Dopey Wise by Even Twice. Thank you for spending time with us. Until next time, my name is Eric Vetter. I love you all.